this week on the Sport Blokes. This week, OG is in NY as the Knicks and Raptors make a big trade. Get rid of the fucking decals in the NBL already. The Aussies finish off Pakistan and Elise Perry plays her 300th and more trivia without notice than we've ever had. Oh, what a bumper episode to start 2024. Let's go. Here at 7.56 on Wednesday, the 10th of January, 2024. Sam Kerr can't stay on the paddock, but boy, oh boy, there's about 26 million of us who will do our best to make her come back from major ACL injury anyway. On the off chance, she might be able to compete in a penalty shootout. The NFL playoffs are nearly here. 16-year-old Luke Littler fell at the final hurdle of the World Dart Championships on debut, but we're not too sad for him because he has a hot 21-year-old girlfriend. He's not fucking 16. He was about 20 years past 16. He looks he looks <laughs> like he's seriously... <laughs> well, he's playing darts. He looks like he's mid-30s. Regardless <laughs> of that, the kid looks like he's... Yeah. Maybe that's why he got a 21-year-old girlfriend. Possible, yeah. That's what they call the reverse Josh Kitty. Uh, Jason Wheelock thinks he's protecting the children, but really probably let us know a little bit too much about his search history. Did you see this one? No, I did not. What? Oh, i got to show you this one. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was so like... I quote, I'm looking at NFL standings on ESPN.com. This ad is running above the standings. How is this possible? Appropriate? And what does the ad say, Stewie? Balls deep inside of me is a great way to spend your birthday. <laughs> Uh, yes, and as was rightly pointed out, the ads are generally targeted towards what you've searched for. So, Quite often. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. India and South Africa tried their best to turn their recent second test into a one-day international. And this one's my favourite of all. Snoop Dogg is going to be a reporter for the 2024 Olympics, and I quote, let's elevate, celebrate, and make these games unforgettable. Smoke the competition. Of course he did. <laughs> and that will be my first reference to the 12 Days of Sport Blokes. But first... Or first, how are you, Stewie? Oh, yeah, look, back to work, unfortunately. So it's that's all downhill from here. Yes, back to reality. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, there's not much coming up. In, well, actually, no, we've got a few holidays coming up, I guess. You know, Australia Day is not too far away. There'll Super Bowl. Super Bowl. It's like weekends. a holiday. Yeah, and I, it, it kind of feels like it's all doom and gloom. But <laughs> the reality is the first half of the year is actually not too bad. It's Once we get to sort of end of May, June, that's when it's like... Another Olympic year. True. It's huge. It's going to be another big one. True. So Okay, so he's going to win the championship as well. Hey, there's every possibility. There's every possibility. I'm trying to keep a straight face. I don't yeah, know. I don't think they will no, either. No. Not this season, but no. hey, there is a possibility. True. So these are just some of the things we'll cover today. And for others, that's as far as we'll go. But as always, please check out timestamps. An extra special thank you to those of you who like and subscribe. And I need to, I guess, say something at the top here. Thanks again for uh, joining me on the odyssey that was the 12 Days of Sport Blokes. We had a lot of fun with that, didn't we? I guess on the off chance, this is the first time you're ever listening to us. Go back and check out our last 12 episodes because we went through a whole bunch of weird and wonderful things, didn't oh, we? Or don't. It's your choice. Well, it is entirely your it's choice. It's your life, as, it is, as yep. Bon Jovi said. It's now or never. Mm. My father-in-law's name is Trevor. That's the rhyme. Very good. Sorry. <laughs> new, new year, nothing's changed. It's still just bullshit. Now, a couple of things I do want to mention in reflection of those 12 days of sport blokes. Belated gift giving. We did record some belated gifts. It's not Christmas or gift giving without giving the odd belated gift. We did record some belated thank yous to both Lindsay, who does the voiceovers, and Daniel, who does a lot of the music and artwork for us. And then when we had the sound issues, we didn't re-record that bit. And so they never got their thank you. So, of course, they were on the nice list, the top of the nice list. A very big thank you to both of them. And, well, thank you to all of you for listening once again, too. Let's get you in another thank you. The middle of the nice list for me. but (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) I also forgot to add Lionel Messi to the naughty list after he referred to the MLS as a minor league, which wouldn't be such a problem if he weren't playing in it. Mm. 
Yeah. It's right, though. It is. It's in, <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's in minor yeah. league. A <laughs> couple of other reflections, and I guess we'll scatter these throughout the next few weeks. But we talked about the Lovebirds. We've had a couple of other. Danielle Vanderdonk and Ellie Carpenter have got engaged. They're Matildas. Obviously, uh, the Matildas have been in the news because of the Sam Kerr stuff. Do you have anything on the Sam Kerr stuff? Like, well, oh, why? It's... We can't force her to play. The no. poor girl can't stay no. healthy, can she? No, it's no. Just let her recover. If she's in any shape for the next run to the next World Cup, fantastic. But no, just it's a what a nine to twelve month sort of thing. Absolutely, it's just yeah, it is. Just let her recover like you would anyone else. Yeah, Plain nine, nine minimum, I think. So she also got engaged to Christy Muse, uh, and we've had a bunch of others. So Emily Van Egmond, another one, and Alex Dimonor and Katie Bolter in the tennis. Yep. I don't know if you've been watching much of the tennis or if you have much tennis this week. No. I purposely stayed away because I knew we'd have so much. No, I'm not really that interested in the lead up to the Grand Slams. I'll watch the Slam when it's on. Uh, Oz Open's always an interesting one, but yeah, not that fussed about the lead up like the Brisbane International and all of that. Or yeah. Dimonor broke the Joker streak in Australia. It was like 40, was that 41 or 43? It definitely wasn't 42. Yeah. It was one of those numbers. But it does have an asterisk next to it. Djokovic's wrist is absolutely stuffed. There's a, funnily enough, just quickly, there is a lot of stuff going on around like Stan Vavrinka, Taylor Fritz, a lot of these big name players starting to say that the change of the balls because yes. has actually caused a lot of wrist issues. I wonder if it might be something else, but maybe they've been using Jason Whitlock's search history. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway. Yeah, a couple of other things and we'll scatter the rest, but we forgot to say that we were milking the topic for eight maids of milking. So I said that it would make more sense, but it made even less sense. So we milked the topic of bloody hell. By the way, I started to prepare for the next best of, and there's some doozies. I forgot about some of our mm. one from the first Bloods banter. Oh, dear. <laughs> and also on the 10 Lords are Leaping, which is great, the facts about Lords, those last three I really enjoyed particularly. I said 12 degrees. 12 degrees is heaps. I mean, clearly maths was never my forte, well, but the slope is definitely not 12 degrees. Well, I mean, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but... And we also looked at drugs and alcohol. Champion jockey Jamie Carr has been cleared of conduct prejudicial to the image of racing in relation to a white powder controversy. So there you go. There anyway, go. I'll throw it to you for more opening bounce and then I can uh, come back, I guess. Um, just quickly, I couldn't remember Mitchell's name. Mitchell. From Modern Family. So Cameron Mitchell, a.k.a. Johnny Bairstow. That's <laughs> that's the mixed marriage. There we go. Um, opening bounce for me, not really a whole heap. Just quickly wanted to circle back on Shohei Otani and the ridiculous contract that he signed so we mentioned in one of the previous episodes that he was getting two million a year for the next what 10 years and then deferring about 68 million of those those yearly payments for i think it was 2034 through to 2041 or something ridiculous like that now the california government's actually really started to scrutinize this tax loophole and they're, they're basically saying that what he's going to do is head back to Japan after he retires and then none of that money will be subject to California ah, state yeah, tax. Okay, okay. And it's actually going to cost them about $98 million in tax revenue. So as a state, it makes sense that they would start going, well, we probably don't want this. Like, it's a lot of money that we could use for a lot of other stuff. And, you know, him deferring it is very, very clever because it's not illegal, but. Well, it was also within the interest of the team to help build around him too. Yeah. And boy, they've opened up their checkbook. They're still spending money. They're the only team that is. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, don't be surprised if that sort of thing's either not allowed in the next 12 months or certainly they tighten it fairly soon. I, I dare say they'll be pushing something through fairly quickly on that. What do you have? Well, look, I knew I knew we would have a long one today, so I don't have much at all. I, I mean, I could talk about the NFL pro playoffs. We're on the brink of them. Oh, but I'm, I'm in mourning. 
because the bloody Colts did the most cultist thing ever and blew the easiest catch right at the end. What was previously a very good game-ending drive that was killing clock and not giving the Texans enough time, and then we blew... And look, granted, we subbed in a third stringer who had only caught four or five passes all year, I think, but I still think it was a good play. It was, it was a pass... A play. The pass should have been made. The catch should have been made. The defense was less likely to consider him being the target given how infrequently he had been a target all season. So, yeah, that was really tough. As I always say, being in the middle is basically the worst you can be. Just absolute definition of mediocrity. We've got the 15th pick. Do I dare call it fourth and one, one, one? Yeah, yeah, it was tough. That was really tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What sucks is that I had a bad feeling about it. I was saying to my girlfriend, I was saying, look, I don't think we're going to win this. Girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fiance! (laughs) That sounded like the voice from Burnt Face Man a little bit. I'm not gay. <laughs> um, but anyway, another, I think 2024 is going to be the, the year, year for, who cares? We're just going to, as many obscure references. Yep. If you get them, you get them. If you don't, you don't. That's up to you. So if anyone's never watched uh, Burnt Face Man, it's fucking hilarious. It's this little animation from probably late 90s, early 2000s uh, about a superhero with a burnt face. Yeah, I still prefer salad fingers, but that one's funny. That though. one's more about the levity than the it, randomness yes. of it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I learned something recently. Oh. We've kind of been misusing levity a little bit. Oh. Levity, the exact definition is talking about something serious and making light of it. Whereas I just thought it was, I think we've been thinking frivolity when we've well, been. Well, I mean, sport is serious and we are making light of it. Okay, so very good. There we go. I can uh, justify yeah, it. Yeah, Le- levitate above the levity. Yeah, so look, I, I just, uh, I won't talk about NFL. We've got lots of basketball and cricket to talk about today. The one thing I will talk about, well, it's a couple of things in the American football world. First of all, congratulations to Michigan. They went undefeated and won the national championship. Congratulations also to Aussie punter Tory Taylor, who's broken an 85-year record, most punt yards in a single season. The previous mark was 4,138, set by Michigan State punter John Fingal back in 1938. Taylor's new record is 4,479, which is 341 more. So... Well done to him, and there's every reason to believe that he will be drafted. They're clearly punting too much. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, so maybe go for it a little bit more. And then, boy, oh boy, irony upon ironies, early in 2024, we've got a contender. Aaron Rodgers, I quote, if you want to be a winning organization and put yourself in position to win championships and be competitive, everything that you do matters. The bullshit that has nothing to do with winning needs to get out of the building. I can only assume that means Aaron Rodgers won't be playing anymore. Yeah, well. Because he's causing it all. Yeah. His feud with Jimmy Kimmel is a bit ridiculous, oh, isn't really. It? I mean, that whole show, apparently, a lot of people are saying, like, it just needs to go. Look, I love a, a good get off my lawn as much as the next guy. And, you know, we sit in our rocking chairs every now and then. But that segment, it's just, I've watched the last few and it's, I don't even, I'm not convinced it's even offering a lot of entertainment value. It's oh. just, I mean, it's a lightning rod. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Ratings. and Yeah. Yeah. One more thing, Shu. I've got an early contender for tweet of the year, right? Speaking of, it's kind of in the same ballpark, ironically. So David Koch, the president of Port Adelaide, said on X, which by the way, apparently I think I read on the Guardian that it's lost 71% in its value 
since Elon Musk bought it and changed its name to X. Yeah. <laughs> it's been discussed in, yes. so in our four calling so birds anyway, episode. Anyway, he said on Twitter, Just for absolute clarity, the David Koch named in the Jeffrey Epstein list released by the US courts is the American oil billionaire of the same name and no relation, to which Rowan C replied, Epstein wore the prison bars. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that gold? Oh, that is brilliant. Absolute gold. Yeah, that so is... shout out to him. I might even tag him into our episode. That's fantastic. Well done. Now, before we move on to the NBL quickly, I just wanted to mention something very, very cool. It's kind of crazy to think that the Carolina Panthers released Baker Mayfield last season, only for he and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Panthers to clinch the NFC South. That's kind of cool. I the like, same division. I like yeah. those stories. Oh, there were some weird stories, actually. Like, the Bills win and they won their division, lose and they're out of the playoffs altogether. Mm. There are a few of those weird scenarios. They did win in the end. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I was wrong about Baker Mayfield. I thought he wasn't up to it, but he's clearly an NFL quarterback. It's good. So, yeah, I do look forward to, even though my Colts won't be playing, and look, I knew they weren't going to cause any noise, but I am looking forward to the playoffs starting on Sunday, Australia time. So we thought we might start with the NBL this week, didn't we? It's been... it's Something different. Yeah, it's been a while since we kicked off with the NBL. Mm. Where should we start? I think the, the news of the Breakers' demise is an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, might have been a slight jump of the gun, possibly. Yeah, so Body Nodge kind of buried it in one of his articles online. By the way, I did get the Patty Mills book for Christmas. Oh, good. good I will good. be reading that at some point. Yeah, kind of buried it somewhere online in an article about the fact that they may need to relocate to the Australian mainland, to which Matt Walsh replied, never heard of Body Nodge, but this is patently false and completely made up, reckless thing to say. So we're pleased to hear that because we did not want the breakers to fall. Well, assuming it's true. Yeah, true, true. Because, yeah, it would be very easy to turn around and just say that and then next thing you know, I mean, I've, I've had that happen at work before where there have been rumours of a demise and then... I've asked the question and they've gone, no, no, everything's fine. And then a month later, uh, so we're actually bankrupt. It's true. So it's it, true. it can happen. Yeah. And yeah. look, it, it's a tough economy over there. If it's a, a tough economy everywhere, let's be honest, but I don't know necessarily whether they've been getting the most amazing crowds there. Which is a shame because they're a choke away from being the defending champions. Yeah. Let's face it. And they've, they've recruited so well the last few seasons. So Even though they had these great imports last season and lost them all, sure enough, they've done it again. So. Yeah. But, I mean, just looking at the numbers, like New Zealand has the lowest percentage of crowd in the league. So, on average, they're filling up about 55% of their stadium. That's poor, isn't it? Which is really bad. And yeah. you look at, you know, some of the league leaders. So, Melbourne sitting at 93, Perth 81, Adelaide, look, they haven't had the most amazing season but they always, they always show up in Adelaide. They love their ball, yeah. Yeah, yeah full credit. They're in at 87. Brisbane at 83. They're another one of the same sort of... They're picking up. Yeah, they're, they're doing a lot better. Taz, Had a very good win over Tassie, who you are just about to mention about today, to yeah, yeah, in a three-point game. Yeah, so there's a few teams up in that sort of high 70s to low 90s. And, yeah, to have such a, a big drop-off from southeast Melbourne at 64, Illawarra at 64, all the way down to 55, that's big. And Sydney, 66%. That probably comes down to the fact that most of their games are on Sundays and people hate A lot of people games. hate going out to the arena there. Yep. Do, do you think that the model is wrong? And it's the fact that an entire nation doesn't want to barrack for one team? Like I always said there should be a North Island and a South Island team. Yep, I agree. I, I think the fact that it's kind of loosely 
connected and they play at multiple stadiums and stuff. I don't know. That's not necessarily a recipe for a rabid fan base, but I don't want to discount those that are rabid fans. And I, again, it'd be a real shame if they fold. So I really hope or move. Yeah. And, and I think I heard somewhere that we have the highest percentage or highest number of New Zealand born players in the league right now. Right. But it would seem that the vast majority of them are playing in Australia. So it's not, quite probably what they want and it does certainly say that there is enough talent out there for a second team so there you go now i know you've got lots of trivia without notice for me this week so i've got got, i've dug up one i might be able to dig up another one too speaking of new zealand mantas rabstavicius is one of only three next stars to have 15 plus points in four consecutive games yeah right want to have a crack at the other two well i feel like lamello would have to be on there correct Oh, jeez. I can't even remember that many of the next stars. That's a really, really bad sign. Well, you it? got the easy one. This one's a little bit trickier. Yeah, wow. I'm, I dare say I'm probably going to need teams on these other ones, which will probably give it away. But Well, I so I would have guessed Josh Giddy. Oh, yeah, wow. But it wasn't. It wouldn't have, yeah, okay. He started with Illawarra. He started with Illawarra? Oh, Much just, like Justinian Justin. Yeah, yeah, Justinian Justin. Yep. Yeah, okay. so that was interesting. Was it only two? Including Mantis. Oh, he's the so third. three of sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess praying Mantis. I get yeah. yeah. Now Pride Rounds not too far around the corner as well. How proud should the NBL be of the Pride jerseys? Two percent. That's about ridiculous. That's about the percentage of their jerseys that it's taking up. Oh, zero point two percent. Yeah. Like you fork out a hundred bucks for a tiny little rainbow around the champion logo, you can't even tell. Mm. I, I think the round's good, but if this is really the way they're going to... If they can put giant-ass fucking Looney, superheroes... Looney yeah. and superheroes and shit. And yet the pride flag is like, it's either do it or don't, I think. You know what I mean? You need a set of binoculars. This is the thing. Like, I don't know. Is this the league shying away from it because of the reactions of some of the other leagues? You know, there was that big hoo-ha in the NRL. Oh, well, there was Keynes, remember? And there was Keynes. Yeah, Including that's Keanu, true. who's come over to Perth. That's true. So, you know. Maybe this is the league just going, well, maybe if we just put a little token thing on there. But yeah. It... But they're still doing the round. You know what I mean? No, so no. in my opinion, you either go whole hog on the jerseys or you say, we're just doing a round, but the jerseys don't change. Because that's, it's so tokenistic, it's ridiculous. Which is even worse. It, it kind of is, it, isn't it, it? Like you're actually better off to just not do the round at all. Or so, the jerseys. Or, well, because... not, well, not do not do it at all. If, you, if, you, well, if, I... if you're going to put a tiny little rainbow around there as a a sign of support for the the community i don't that like what that's a slap in the face well it depends though if if you still have good things in the coverage and and that sort of thing do you know what yeah. i mean and artic news articles and that sort of thing and but, so but look at all the good stuff that the league's done for the indigenous rounds you know the the entire jersey covered in these amazing art displays by all of these local indigenous well and i think we've advocated for them to be a part of the permanent jerseys absolutely i I think a lot of them are better than the normal jerseys quite frankly the vast majority anyway apart from the wildcats ones that always have far too much yellow and make us look like tigers yes but i mean look you can still live with that but then obviously if we're going to celebrate the indigenous community which i think is a great thing not celebrating the gay lesbian etc etc community is Honestly, like I think that's that's a slap in the face yeah. to them. It's basically saying that you're not worth celebrating as much as the indigenous community, as as International. you said, fucking Marvel, yeah, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. this other shit that, yeah. that, that means nothing really to Australian culture, uh, unless you're into that sort of thing, which is fair enough. But... People under the age of thirty-five know who the fuck the Looney Tunes are, anyway. Well, exactly. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, it's. I, I just, Although I guess there was the Space Jam thing. But, yeah, I, look, yeah. I don't. As I say, I think this is a real slap in the face to to that community, and I, if I was part of that community, I'd be really pissed off. I, I think it's disappointing because if you already own a jersey, what incentive is there to buy a Pride jersey when the representation is so tiny that, like I said, you need a pair of binoculars to see it. Yeah. So, okay, they'll capture some people that may have not bought a jersey before and want to buy their first jersey. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Yeah, not not great. Speaking of not great, well, it'll be interesting to see what you think. Gary Brown. And look, South East Melbourne have had their problems. They played a game the other day without an import, which is a hard thing to do when you've got three on the team. But that's how kind of shaky their injuries have been and Big Source has had some issues and this, that and the other. What do you make of the Gary Brown punishment? Oh, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute fucking disgrace. The the reason it is, though, is because it's the second incident. He punched Toby Smith-Milner, uh, I think, a little bit lower than he punched Aaron Baines. But for this to be a second offence and them to say, again, it's one game suspension down to a fine because of an early guilty plea, like, I just, I don't understand. Early guilty plea, to me, like, that's got a place in the legal system of the world. But I don't think it really should factor into any of this sort, the tribunal sort of stuff. Like, you punch a guy in the gut, and they deem that it's a one-game suspension. Why should you? Oh, oh yeah, it was. I was guilty. I was guilty. I oh, cool. You said it quickly, so we'll give you. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I know what you're saying to a point. On the flip side, though, some people don't admit when they're wrong. Some people don't admit fault. We saw Draymond not taking full responsibility for what he did in the NBA to Rudy mm. Gobert, for example. And so in that sense, if someone does take responsibility, and in this incident, you could tell that Gary knew immediately. You could tell he was not happy with himself. He knew he did the wrong thing. So in that sense, I'm okay with it. I just think they got the the penalties wrong. So I think that maybe it should have been a two down to one. It was deemed intentional medium impact and low contact in the official statement. I guess... It's just funny because in the AFL, these sort of punches are getting people games. And they're not, look, and that's a, you, and that's you're a, not injuring the guy. It's not a big punch. It's just not a good look either. I think he probably should have got a game given his record. I mean, you're doing this in front of kids. Again, we've got to remember that there are a ton of kids watching these games. These are not the sort of things that players should be doing as role models for these kids. And I, look, as I say, I, I absolutely stand by what I said. I don't really, I don't care if they say, Yes, I I know what I did wrong. I, you could see it in his face. Yes, he knew he he messed up straight away. But regardless of that, he still did it. Yeah, and yep. and saying that you did it early and showing a bit of remorse is great. But you've done it twice now. Like first time, absolutely, I could get behind one game suspension down to a fine. The fact that it's a second, I don't think the the early guilty plea does anything. It should be a suspension automatic. I agree. The second offense thing should offset the early guilty play, and it should have been a game. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know what? The world basically said screw you, and he got injured anyway. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. So he didn't end up playing regardless. But <laughs> it's uh, yeah, not good times for the Phoenix. No, no, and they come here to Perth for the open air game that might happen. Jesus, forty-one degrees. It's going to be here. So you and I were at the one last year. We had to stare into the sun for half a game of basketball. We didn't particularly love it. That's did terrible. We? Yeah. So they can't open the roof. They will. Uh, for forty-one. They will. You reckon? Yep. They will. For forty-one. Yep. Wow. I reckon they will. It'll be shit. I, I reckon even at thirty-five they couldn't. Oh, it'll be shit house, but they will do it. 
Well, well, time will tell. I, By the time this episode's out, we'll, oh, well, maybe just before, but yeah. No, okay. I, no, I reckon they will, because they, they've already announced that they're doing it, so I, I think... They're pot committed. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. As I said, I don't like the idea, because we know, not, it wasn't just us, there were hundreds of people that were impacted throughout a good chunk of the first half of that game that we went to, and it was horrible. You put sunglasses on, you still can't see anything. Yeah. It's... It's, just, it's not good. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan. I don't know why we would want shooting percentages to drop because that's what opening a roof will do. So, look, admittedly, the Melbourne-Perth was an amazing spectacle. It was. The sun setting was magnificent. Better time of night than, than what we had here last year. There was a lot to kind of like about it. But, yeah, again, I'm a bit of a purist. And on the flip side, yeah. if if it's going to negatively impact on, on shooting percentages and stuff, there weren't enough guys factoring that in as well. I feel it's an inside sport. Yeah. Why does it need to be outside as well? Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. And we're seeing more and more three pointers being taken in games. Yeah. Open air is going to affect that. Yeah. And look, fair enough for an exhibition game. I mean, there's that exhibition game they play in the college with Navy. I think it is where they're playing. Oh, at a football field. No, 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 the basketball, they play... Yeah, they play basketball on a football field. Oh, no, I'm talking about the one they play on the back of the carrier ship. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Which, you know, that's cool. That's, that's, that's very a, cool, that's yeah. That's a really great spectacle. But again, exhibition, no problems at all. But when it's worth championship points, I don't think that's a great idea. No, I agree. I agree. Alex Saar, apparently still projected to be the number one pick, but he'll be out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, once again, these ugly decals rear up and cause issues. The biggest issue that I have, and I saw a tweet from Jed Wells on this, who basically said, not going to get the best prospects out here if the very courts they play on are a hazard. And I kind of have to agree with that. And you kind of wonder whether this happens in Europe as well. It's just, it's not a good look when you've got a guy who, as you say, projected to be number one, and these things happen. I mean, we already saw last year with Chet Holmgren where he goes number two in the draft, everyone gets really excited, and then he ends up playing in a pickup game and injures himself and misses the entire season. We don't want to see this on frigging decals. Like, is any of the advertising on these decals actually doing anything anyway? <laughs> I couldn't tell you a single a single company that has been advertising on these decals. Uh, I could. But, I mean, the, the league needs the money. We need the revenue. Put it somewhere else then. Well, like, or use better technology. Yeah. That's the key. Just, the key is the technology. Just, the key isn't the advertising. When we were kids, it was all about DMAC, and nowadays it's all about decal. Mm, yeah. Daryl Cal Donald. How about them Hawks? Yeah, looking pretty good. They're resurging, aren't they? They really are. And Tatum reckons they can win the championship. And good on him, because it's that sort of attitude and mentality that has inspired this rise of yep. it. Well, and that's it. From what I'm hearing, all of it is about that positivity and really reinforcing we are good enough to do this. We have the pieces. We're, we're, they're playing a, a completely different brand of ball. They're going inside out rather than outside in, which, which is, is a breath of fresh air. Very, very nice. Yeah. Especially when you've got a, a Sam Dennis, Frolings. Yeah, Samson Frolling. Looking a, very good. Yeah, Samson. Yeah. He's yeah. a very top quality player. They're starting to get a lot from Clark. They're starting to get more point guard sort of play from Tyler Harvey. I think it's Hit that just, game winner not well a little while ago now, but yeah, ago. yeah. But, but you know, he's getting other guys involved now. We're starting to see the sort of Justin Robinson. I think that a lot of people were expecting as well that NBA caliber sort of player shooting the ball a little bit better. So 
yeah, it's a real feel-good story. And I think a lot of people are probably having the Hawks now as their second team, which is... Yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. exciting. It's nice to have an underdog come in and, and do some big things, you know, taking some big scalps. They do have a lot of games left. I think they've got 11 games left and most of the teams have seven or eight. Yeah, well, let's let's maybe discuss this in light of the run home. Hawks, as you say, have more games than many teams. They've got a number of double headers there. Look, their double headers are tough. Their away games are tough. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I mean, you look at the away games they've got left. So Tasmania, Brisbane, Perth, New Zealand, Sydney, Melbourne. There's no, I mean, look, there's no easy wins at all. No, well, that's right. That's right. Obviously, Sydney hasn't looked as good as they have previously, but the margin for error is pretty small, isn't it? So they do need to to win a lot. Melbourne, I don't think their grip on number one is locked in stone. They have a lot of road games, don't they, left? They do, and they've got some tough ones as well. And again, it just comes down to everyone is capable of beating everyone. We saw Adelaide beat Melbourne fairly comfortably the other day. A few teams have beat Melbourne recently, yeah. Yep, you know, we've, we've seen Sydney drop a few... I mean, shit, when Perth went into Illawarra and got smoked. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was a shock then. Well, that was kind of the beginning of the resurgence in some ways, Neil. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Luke Travers is this week. Yes. Him not playing Apparently last... he's due to play. Yeah, him not yeah. playing last weekend definitely interrupted a lot of the flow and they were having to get a few more minutes out of Bowen, who, look, he's he looks better. His shot is ugly as sin, <laughs> but he certainly has looked a lot better. But obviously, yeah, having... A guy like Travis, who has had a really great season, is it's not good to see him on the bench, obviously. So that that impacts Melbourne a bit. If you're talking about who has the hardest, I think it's hands down Southeast Melbourne. You look at the away games at Perth, at New Zealand, at Melbourne, but then they've also got home games against Perth, two against Sydney, one against Tasmania. They've got a lot of guys out injured at the moment. Oh, I'm ready to roll a line through them. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think I'm rolling a line through th- Southeast Melbourne and Adelaide. And everyone else is still alive, in my opinion. I reckon if Southeast Melbourne even make the play-in, it's a good effort. You you could absolutely make a case for coach of the year. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, Mike Kelly, yeah, he's he's been up against it, but I yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they're they're pretty much done. But yeah, you like you're right. I think everyone else is still kind of in it. I think Brisbane have again been playing some really really good quality ball. Casey Prather is a massive pickup. I know he's not the Casey Prather of a few years ago, but he really adds a lot of extra depth to that bench. Well, and maybe he could be the Casey Prather of a few years ago. Who knows? Maybe. Just got the ladder here as well. So it's quite amazing, really, that the Taipans are ninth currently, 9 and 12, 21 games. Well, I mean, look at this. The Breakers are in eighth with an eight and ten record. If they win their next three, they have the same record as the Jack Jumpers who are in, in third. Field. Yeah, it's incredible. So I think a lot of this comes down to you have to take care of business at home and you've got to hope to pick up a couple of these away games. And look, it could come down to Melbourne and Perth, potentially in the last couple of rounds, resting players. Well, that's my question. Is this our top two? I'd be very, very surprised if it wasn't. I mean, you look at Perth's run, they've got two home games coming up. If they win both of those, 14 and 7, it kind of probably puts them four games ahead. Southeast Melbourne have some injuries too, yeah. You'd expect them to win on Saturday at least. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to think that nobody can catch Perth for second. Obviously, there's still a lot of games left to play. But, again, at Sydney, we play in Sydney really well. 
at Southeast Melbourne. It's not the same Southeast Melbourne that smoked us earlier in the season. Definitely not. Home games against Illawarra, New Zealand, Cairns. And we've won, what, eight of nine against New Zealand? Yep. Including that amazing third quarter with maybe... A couple of calls. Yeah, yeah. some oh, foul shots. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> How good's Cotton been, though? He's eh? been very... Rough. I mean, he has to be MVP, surely. Something pretty amazing would have to change that. Are we going there or are we going to finish? What do you reckon? Oh, well, I'm sorry. Do you have more thoughts? Not necessarily. I just think based on where we are right now, this is the most exciting season that I can remember in terms of we're 10 games out and realistically, nine teams could make it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And you could replay this scenario 100 times and it could be completely different and nothing would surprise you. Yeah. The, the playoffs would be, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All it'd take is Southeast Melbourne to get some of their players back. Uh, or know, major injuries to other people. Or, or too, major, sure. yeah. Brisbane to continue what they're doing. Illawarra to continue what they're doing. New Zealand have a few away games coming up later in the season. But again, if they can get their home games, you know, they've got three out of the next four at home against Melbourne, Southeast Melbourne, Tassie. They can somehow pick up all three of those. So, yeah, all it's going to take is one or two teams to go on a, a three, maybe a four-game winning streak. And this whole thing could completely turn on its head. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It is. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. All right. So Bryce, make the, the, the call. Is there oh, any, I, any, can anyone catch him? I don't think so. I think it would just about take an injury and it'd have to be an injury in the next game. You'd have to just about miss all of the last 10 games. I mean, you could almost make an argument that this has been his best season ever as a Wildcat. Yeah. Maybe the numbers aren't the best, but the attention that he gets, the bumping and scraping and holding, and yes... He does go to the line a lot and he does have a way of shooting threes. But God, you'd think by now people would know not to get in the guy's landing yeah. space. Right hand to right hand. That's, yeah. that's what they always say. So there are ways by now people should have a pretty good idea of how it's often bigs that, you know, maybe bench warmers. It is, or the younger guys. The younger guys, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he's very canny. He's just been an absolute marvel to watch, particularly in December. Just magnificent. Can you make a case for anyone else? Well, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, Melbourne are the other team that's successful. They share the load so well. I mean, Chris Golding's having one of the best seasons of his career too, which is remarkable given his age. But I don't think he's had the impact that Bryce has had. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of the other guys, like Anthony Lamb, for example, well, New Zealand, they might not even make the playoffs. So they may not even make the play in. So if victories and, and, okay, again, you said how tight it is, but if victories are playing a part and assuming Perth will win at least half of their remaining games... I can't see a world in which Bryce, I think it's like Pete Hawley tweeted the other day. It's let's just talk about the other awards because this one's pretty much wrapped up. All right, I'll give you a scenario. New Zealand have 10 games left. Let's say they go seven and three and get to the four seed. Lamb's averaging 21 and I don't know, seven or eight rebounds a game. He shoots the ball at a very good clip. I think he's shooting at about, I don't know, 50 odd percent. And Bryce's percentages are what hurt him. Could you then possibly make a case? And let, let's just say... Well, if they if they jumped up the ladder, that that's a case. You could make a case. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not necessarily a strong one. Yeah. I'm not, well, it's not an unstrong I'm one. I'm not trying to be a homer here and sort of say it's, it, you know, it's a lock. It probably is. I don't know that anyone else has really had, as you say, a big enough season with a big enough impact to the team's success. I mean, Nathan Sobey's had a really good bounce back year. Although he's got a bit injured and he's drifted off a little bit as well. You know, he's, he's scoring the ball at a really high level. Oh, he's having he, a career. He, he's, doing, he's doing doing some great things. 
Parker Jackson Cartwright as well, another New Zealand guy, has certainly been a stat filler. He, he gets, what, 17, eight assists, does a lot of good things. But, yeah, you, you're right about Melbourne. I think them and I think Sydney to an extent as well. Well, let's face it, Sydney are trajecting the wrong way, aren't they? They, they are trajecting the wrong way. Good word. Love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Milton Doyle's doing things very, very quietly down in Tassie. There's, there's still not a whole lot of hoopla about them. They're just kind of doing their thing. But... Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they lost to Brisbane, although Brisbane are looking a lot better. The thing that amazed me, so I didn't see the game. I looked at the box score. They beat Tassie by three with Baines and Zakarski playing less than 20 minutes combined. Combined. Yep. It was hovering around 10 each. So just under. It's probably the only thing with Justin Shaw that I've found a bit odd is you've got Aaron Baines on one of the biggest contracts in the entire league. Apparently it's the biggest, I hope. Well, it could well be, yeah. And what did he play today? Seven nine minutes. Like, seven, seven minutes. Seven minutes, 29. Jeez. Zakarski plays 9.52. And then you're giving 22 minutes to Harrison. He had a 20-point game, though, didn't he? He played quite well. 13 and 7. Oh, okay. So, like, he played well, but uh, I don't know. Well, they got the win, so. They, they did. And I'll tell you what, that was without Sobey as well. The thing I love about Sikarski is the way he defends with both hands. Yeah, exactly. You, you think you're you're taking it up at the good angle and he'll just swat it with his left hand. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like the kid. Uh, it's weird seeing those sorts of numbers. But look, it's hard to argue with results. Yes. Again, yep. you know, you're, you're playing against a quality team like Tasmania without your leading scorer and you find a way to win. That's a big win. It's a good, very good win. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean... I mean, what does that do to the standings? That, that's put Brisbane up into fifth. And it's also given Perth and Melbourne a little bit more breathing yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the results have really helped Perth and Melbourne lately. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's going to be a ton of these two-game swings where, yeah, a win or a loss, and all of a sudden you, yeah. you might drop two or three spots in one game. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. It really is. We probably should spend a quick minute on the Kings. I mean, we've... Yeah, currently sitting in fourth just above that Brisbane team you mentioned. And the thing is, if you look at, you know, Illawarra, for example, have less losses than them. Illawarra has nine yeah, losses. Yeah, so the game's in hand. Sydney and Tasmania, who are third and fourth, have 10. Wow. And New Zealand have 10, but they're below. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's all over the place. But, yeah, just watching the Kings in the last sort of two or three weeks, it's really worrying times for them. They're not looking good, are they? They're not looking great. Their defense is an absolute joke right now. I heard on overtime they've given up 100 points in eight games this season. And five of those at home. Wow. That's really, really not great. And this is the sort of time when they miss someone like a Justin Simon, who absolutely elite level defender. Doesn't play. need the ball. Yeah, exactly. Does a lot of stuff off the ball. Exactly. So yeah. the other thing as well, I don't think there's been anywhere near enough said up until now about the loss of Xavier Cooks. Well, Bolden obviously played really well against us in that game, and it was looking like, okay, Bolden's going to play that Xavier role, but it's it, he hasn't kind of been super consistent, has he? Well, so He's just not the same guy. I mean, Cooks is that heart and soul guy, mad rebounder, really great roller off picks. Geordie Hunter has been amazing off pick and rolls, I have oh, to say that. I've always been a big fan of Geordie. But they're just not getting the same energy and the same effort from the guys that have sort of taken over like the the Boldens, like the DJ Hoes, Denzel Valentines. I mean, they're shooting poorly from deep as well. The last four games, less than 29% on about 31, 32 three-point attempts a game, which is too many. I don't know. There's just not enough attention. You've got games where Geordie Hunter's only taking three field goal attempts. 
they've got games where Sean Bruce is taking more shots than him. I'm seeing more and more defensive lapses too. Yeah. It's just, it's not great. You know, you've got guys like Hunter, Bolden, Hogue, Tui, even Valentine. Get inside, attack the rim, get to the free throw line, put the pressure on the, the referees to make some calls. I think they need to really abandon that three-point game. And unfortunately, yeah, we see that a lot with teams where they play this NBA brand of basketball and it is just shoot as many threes as you can. I've got no problems with shooting the three if it's open, but yeah, it's not always going to be the right shot. So yeah, I do worry a little bit about the Kings and I think they'll be fine to make the the play-in. I don't see them necessarily... Well, there's no way they have the talent yeah there's no way they're going to get up to a top two for example you can't see that happening no. not the way the things are going the thing i'm not loving at the moment though is like them having valentine and bolden off the bench i don't like that why would you well i think because of recent issues they're just trying to do whatever they can to mix it up and and get it working but against melbourne united they started hunter galloway noy bruce and adams Hmm. that's not a good you can't start sean bruce i don't think you can well you can start galloway i, I can understand with the caliber that. of player on the bench that is curious isn't it yeah, uh, maybe it the is. coach was sending a message I, but yeah i just don't you've got, you've got to start bolden and you've got to start valentine these these are nba caliber players and you're uh, letting sean bruce start ahead of them at least one of tui bolden or valentine should be starting at least one maybe probably two yeah yeah like fair enough send a message but you've got to do it the right way. And I just think continuing to have these guys coming off the bench, it's just not the right way to do it. All right, Nath, moving across to the NBA. Let's start off strong. The Pistons won a game! <laughs> they did. They did. The Raptors were the victims, although it did take the absence of one OG Ananobi to get the Pistons there. And yes. even then, it was a seven-point game with 24 seconds left, and I only won by two. Oh, dear. Um, just quickly before we get on to the obvious thing, we mentioned OG Ananobi, there was a very, very big trade that we have to talk about. You know, when you see on Twitter, people saying, oh, can you explain X in Y terms? Explain this in football in terms. Baseball, or, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw a guy, and I hope you find this as funny as I, I laugh probably way too hard at this. I don't think it's as funny as I thought it was, but I saw a guy named Ryan ask someone to explain the Pistons 2-28 and record and 27-game losing streak in MLB terms. And a guy named Coach Lou at Coach Lou Grizz said, a baseball team losing 27 games. <laughs> I love the uh, simplicity of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously they have a longer season. So it's, yeah, but it is funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then funnily enough, that's what people would jump on. Right. But, but is it 144? 160. Oh, it's 164? 164. I think it might it's be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But the bottom line is it is still the same. You're still losing 27 games in a row. So anyway. By the way, that game that you said could have been the battle of the unwinnables, I think is tomorrow. Oh. I think we play the Pistons tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Oh, neither of them got there on the losing No, well, that's right. Yeah, we won a couple. Like I said, I said we won a couple. We won a couple. Yeah. So, yes, the big news, obviously, and the reason OG Ananobi wasn't there is we've had the first big trade. OG Ananobi to New York for RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second rounder. What do you make of the trade? Seems to have worked for both teams. It has. The Knicks are 5-0 since they got him. They're plus 96 in the last four games, and they're plus 111 when he's on the floor. The proof's in the pudding. It's looking good. Yep. I, it's funny you say that. because. By the way, it's the second big trade. James Harden. 
Oh, well. But that was a while ago. That was, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, First big, well, technically the first big trade of 2024, even though it <laughs> happened last year. Doesn't matter. No, it's funny though. I, I actually wrote down, I like this trade for both teams, if I'm honest. I think it works out really well. Ananobi gives New York that slightly taller, small forward. They haven't had, you know, Josh Hart rebounds well for his size, but he's not quite the same sort of level as OG. OG's a great defender. I, I found this absolutely amazing. The Knicks' defensive rating in December was 123.6, worst in the NBA. Since the trade, and as of yesterday, the Knicks' defensive rating is 104.3, the best in the NBA. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously, the sample's not huge. No. But dividends are immediate. And Barrett's playing well, too. Yep. Unshackling him seems to have helped for Toronto. So that's fantastic, obviously, going home to Canada. Yeah, well, I mean, it worked out well because they did have a bit of a logjam at the guards. Like, Jalen Brunson's playing all-star level which kind of meant that Barrett was maybe the odd guy out. And they probably would have liked to have kept quickly. He's a, a really, really good spark plug off the bench. But you've got to give to get. And Well, and some of the Ananobi rumours in the last couple of years, this was probably fairly cheap compared <laughs> to some of them. So, so, yeah, you do. You've got to give yeah. to get. And, and if you look at the Knicks, you know, their secondary guards, Dante DiVincenzo, Miles McBride, Quentin Grimes, like they're pretty decent guys. They will be absolutely fine. And... I don't know about you, but I think this kind of gives the Knicks a ceiling of conference semifinals, maybe if they catch fire at the right time, conference finals. Yeah, yeah, I think they can make the conference finals. I The, the key being that it's uh, Julius Randle on year. Ah, he seems to alternate. Yes, true, good point. He seems to be good, bad, good, bad. He seems to be a good year. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so this, is, this is true. It's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think definitely for the Knicks, that gives them that really great ceiling. As you mentioned there yeah, with the Raptors, they're doing some great things. Barrett, Toronto native, does help, obviously. Yep. Quickly gives them a lot more shooting. They have been a horrendous three-point shooting team for most of the season. If you look at since the trade, quickly shooting 41% since coming over. RJ Barrett shooting nearly 53% from deep. Obviously, that's not going to... Yeah, there's a sugar happening. There's a sugar hit here for both teams, and, and it will die down a little bit for both teams. But... Yeah, great trade yeah, I initially. Mean, even, yeah, even Toronto as a team, they're shooting 42% since the trade. They've been shooting about 35% middle of the pack, or might have been 20th in the league across the entire season. So it's, as you say, it is a bit of a sugar hit, but it's giving them, I guess, a little Early bit... Early signs. Yeah, a bit of positivity. Yeah. And look, it's quite possible the Raptors are going to be sellers again. I think Siakam's been linked to pretty much every major Yeah, day. well, let's, let's maybe sit on that till we, we do uh, some true or false at the end of this segment, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But look, I like the fact that the Raptors are taking less threes than most. I think they're shooting around about 30 a game. It's a good number for them. It gives them more of a chance to get the ball into Scotty Barnes, who has really picked up his game yep. recently. He's an absolute beast. Well, showing why, who was it? Chris Wallace was saying that he would have selected him number one, yeah. I think. Oh, it wouldn't have so, been the worst pick. Yeah. So they're three and two since the trade with a five and a one-point loss to Sacramento and the Lakers, both on the road. So good early signs for the Raptors. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but it's still nice to see signs of life above the border, really. While we're on Toronto, I know this isn't in order on our run, hmm. but there was an interesting thing today that probably pushes it higher up the run anyway, well, doesn't well, it? From that Lakers game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shall we talk about this? Go for it. So Darko Rajakovic, is that how you say it? Sure. Just unleashed with both barrels in the press conference today. And I'm almost tempted to watch the game or at least the fourth quarter now because the Lakers shot more free throws in the fourth quarter than the Raptors average as a team in a game. And they only had two in the game. 
couple of quotes here. It's worth watching, those that are interested. What happened tonight is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees. Shame for the league to allow this. They had to win tonight? If that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them the win. That was not fair tonight. So there's a lot of whistleblower discussions going on. There is. And I've seen people saying that he's really got value for money when it comes to the fine that will be coming his way. And as you should, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. You, you may, may as well. You may as well not just go in there and go, oh, the refereeing was a bit shit tonight, and then back off. It's like, no, absolutely get it out there. Yeah. 23 free throws in the fourth quarter compared to Toronto shooting 13 for the entire game. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and he, he was going on about Scotty Barnes is getting downhill, driving hard, getting contact, not getting to the line. I think there's maybe a little bit of a somewhere in the middle truth to that because he was driving downhill at Anthony Davis and AD is... So you actually watched some, didn't you? I watched a lot of the, the extended highlights. Right. And yeah, I mean, AD is a big guy. He had a big game too. Has an incredible reach on him. He's going to block some shots. He had a really key block on Barnes late. But 23-2 to two is pretty bad. It doesn't look great. And you know, I saw LeBron commented on that and went, uh, well, I, I just thought that we were getting fouled and they weren't. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Which I mean, what can the players say exactly in, in that situation? You, you can't really do that. But no, definitely it's nice to see someone actually really open up and not just pussyfoot around it. Yeah. Like, really go for it. As I say, you're going to get fined anyway, so you may as well make your point and move on. And it's one of the things I do really hate about the NBA is the hero treatment and the star treatment. And some teams get it better than others and... A lot of people like to go and play for the Lakers because of the glitz and glamour and history, but I also think the special treatment helps too, you know, and the nightlife and whatnot, but the special treatment helps. So, yeah, good on him, I say. Uh, And as I say, I might have to chuck that on tonight, just have a bit of a look. Now, Nathan, (laughs) I see you turn the screen. Time for some trivia without notice. (laughs) Not that I was looking anyway. All right, go on. Emmanuel quickly has the highest plus minus in the history of the New York Knicks. Now, keep in mind, plus minus doesn't go back ridiculously far yes i would need to know how far so i will i will ask you if you can name the other four members of the knicks top five keep in mind that all four of these players played for the knicks around 2000 or later okay one of them was way earlier but as well geez you're a sadist you know i don't like plus minus i know um so when does this start? So what? So how many are we looking at? We're looking at four. Four, and and three of them are in the last twenty years, and one isn't. One one of them played after two thousand, but also played well before, which should be a pretty big clue. What like Patrick Ewing? Patrick Ewing, uh, okay, number three at plus five hundred and ninety one. 2000s, because I was going to say, could it be someone weird like Charles Oakley? But it won't be Charles Oakley if it's two thousands. First name's close to one of them though. Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward, number two. Okay. Plus 761. Okay. It's a very handy baseballer too, Charlie Ward. He was. Number four played on the same team as as Charlie Ward. for Chris Childs. No, no. No, no. Uh, I'll be thinking, but... A guard then, is it? Not a guard. Oh. It's not... It can't be LJ. It's Larry Johnson. It is LJ, okay. Larry Johnson, number four at plus 427. And the fifth one's a tricky one. This is a very streaky three-point shooter, a white guy... Uh, played for a number of teams. He was with the Knicks for, I think, probably three seasons. I'd actually be pretty impressed. Kyle Corver. No, no. Sim- Sim- he never played for the Knicks. No, he didn't. Uh, His surname sounds like a radio station in Perth. What's the most well-known? Ah, uh, of course. Harold 92.9. <laughs> of course. <laughs> 
No, he had some good years with the Knicks. What's 93.7? Oh, fuck. What is it? Okay, you don't listen to the radio I at all. I do not listen to the radio. That's fair enough. Okay, well, I'll put you out of your misery, I think. This one's a really tricky one. Nova. Yes. There's only one extra letter after Nova. Oh, Chris Novak. Not, not Chris Novak. Uh, Similar boring name. It's not a boring name, but it's a regular Yeah, shout-outs to Chris. Yeah, true. Uh, everyone called Chris. Uh Oh. Well, also shout outs to everyone called Steve. Steve Novak. Steve Novak. Steve Novak. Plus four twenty four. That was that was obscure. That's a toughie. That's that was trivia without notice for the real purist. That's a real toughie. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. like if anyone got Steve Novak, bonus points to you. In fact, yeah, we'll put you on our nice list for the uh, Christmas. If it's anyone who got Charlie Ward, well done too. Because I mean, he's a good player, but not the sort of guy you would expect to have a ridiculously high plus minus. No, but point guard, gritty defender, would have played a fair few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Like it. All right. Golden State. Yeah, Draymond's back. Hmm. Convenient. Yeah, just as CP gets injured. Yep. I so he's had 11 hand injuries, six and five in his career. That's like one nearly every second season. It's not good. It's not great, it's is not it? Very good. I mean, he's obviously he's getting older and he's still yeah. had an incredible career. But that's always been his issue, hasn't it, Chris Paul, is that he's made a glass a little yeah. bit. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 17 and 19, the Warriors now 12th place in the West behind the likes of Utah and Houston. I haven't checked today whether they changed that, that position, but... Oh, well, that's close enough. I mean, by the time we released this, the standings would have changed again. I do have a question, though. Apparently, Adam Silver talked Draymond Green out of retirement straight after the season. Yeah. Did you, did you buy that? I don't know. I mean, I have the I have the podcast queued up. He, he talked about it on his podcast and I, I had best of intentions but didn't get to listening to it prior to our recording. I might try and listen to it before next week. I'll, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I'll rephrase this. Do you buy that he would have retired and stayed retired? No. That's that's what I'm thinking. Maybe for the rest of the season or... Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, fair. Yeah, good that's question. That's exactly what I've said. He might, yeah. have, might have taken the rest of the season off but he'd be back for 24-25. I'm not even convinced that he did any of the stuff that the league mandated that he did. He probably just sat at home on his couch and just chilled. Oh, if, if it's mandated, I mean, you can make someone attend something, but you can't make them listen. Yeah. You can't make them agree or, you know what I mean? So yeah. how do you feel about the indefinite? I know we talked about it a little bit. So I think it ended up being, what, 12 games? 12 games, yeah. Well, well there might be a couple 12, more. 12 plus, he's now reconditioning, basically. I saw I saw a video of him doing like a wind sprint up the middle of the court and someone said, oh, he's getting in practice for the first game when he gets ejected and has to run to the tunnel. I was going to say, if he's getting in game shape, so he's what, like punching guys in the balls, yeah. grabbing guys in headlocks. All the good stuff. Yeah. All the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, not great. No, interesting times for the Warriors. Now, the other big thing is the stuff that's come out this week about Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody not being happy about their minutes and feeling that, Steve Kerr's maybe keeping their development on a, a slightly lower level than it should be. Kaminga set out the last 18 minutes against Denver in a three-point loss. I watched that game. Though That day, was there was Spurs-Milwaukee and then Golden State-Denver, and they were both absolutely cracking games. Very good games. Oh, incredible. And, and the thing is, the next game after that Hoyt got leaked, Kaminga gets a team-high 36 minutes, goes for 11 and 6 with four turnovers, then goes 5 of 13 for 13 and 4 against Toronto. Two questions. Firstly, do you think that was the right avenue, putting it out there? No, of course not. Irrational confidence guy. And we've already heard that he was potentially dropping in the draft because of character issues. Yeah. There's no denying his skill, 
but I'm not convinced. Is he someone I want on my team? Well, you just actually combined both of my questions together because I was going to say, should they have leaked that that conversation or, or that that piece? And secondly, do you think Kaminga's as good as he thinks he is? So that's obviously a no from you. Yeah, oh, he's definitely an irrational confidence guy. And he's definitely, oh, he's obviously incredibly young. He's like, what, 20, maybe 21 in yeah, that ballpark. Yeah, he's young. So he's going to have an overinflated sense of self and he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. But no, I don't think that was the right way to go about things. Mm. No. I don't know why you wouldn't have that conversation behind closed doors. Yeah. Like just to me, this is the equivalent of the Draymond punch on Jordan Poole getting out or information about this whole Draymond Green versus Kevin Durant stuff. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to go on behind closed doors. Didn't Bob Myers pull the parachute at the right time in Golden State? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Is he Nostradamus? Yeah. <laughs> he saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. How do you fix this Warriors team? Well, the, and this is this is the problem. The problem that they have is that there is absolutely no development at all from the young guys. And I I feel like Oh, I, you don't you don't think Kaminga's improved? there's been linear improvement with Kaminga over the last season or so, you don't think? Marginal. All right. I need to like triple or quadruple down on this whole Steve Kerr thing. <laughs> I feel like it's been a few weeks. I need to probably talk about this again. It's no secret. I don't think that he's the most amazing coach. I think he's an incredible manager of talent. Well, this situation suggests that even that's not great. Well, this the so chemistry stuff. This is the thing. He inherited a team that had won 47 and 51 games in back-to-back seasons, picked up Leandro Barboza, Festus Azili, and Sean Livingston, took that roster to 67 wins, did incredible. Then they used the cheat code to add Kevin Durant. Um, (laughs) Salary cut. But then after Durant left, they had to pick up Andrew Wiggins to win another one, and they're fading into mediocrity. And if you look back, so I've actually gone back and had a look at all of the draft picks since Steve Kerr started as coach with the Warriors. It's not great reading. It starts off really, really well, and then it just drops like crazy. So 2015, they picked up Kevon Looney. He's obviously been fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. He is... Although he, he's struggling a bit too. So the whole team is going through struggles. But uh, that series against Sacramento, he was so important. Obviously, Curry did all the scoring, but Looney did all the grunt work, all the boards and everything. But he's that prototype Steve Kerr big man. You look at guys like Bogut and Festus Azili that I just spoke about. Even, I guess, to a lesser extent, Anderson Varejao towards the end. You've you got guys that get rebounds, set picks, rely on second chance points. David West. Yeah, all yeah, those sort David of guys. West and yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Like, Looney has been excellent, but he's also not the sort of guy that will propel the Warriors into the next phase because, you know, he's starting to get on a little bit now. He's been in the league now for eight years. 2016, Damian Jones played 49 games across three seasons. Patrick McCaw, 15 and 17 minutes a game in two seasons, out of the league by 2021. I think we need to remember that a lot of these picks will be fairly low. I know we get to James Wiseman, obviously, but... A lot of those guys would be pretty low, wouldn't they? Well, this is the thing. McCall was a quality player. Yeah, he and was I know, decent. I know he was impacted by injuries, but again, didn't really get enough time. Jordan Bell is another guy. 14 and 11 minutes a game in two seasons out of the league by 2022. He was a quality player. Just didn't get any chances. When that stuff happens, though, if they're not being picked up on other teams, you wonder if there's other stuff going on off court. Potentially, but I mean, I, I don't know. All right, let, let's keep going with this, though, because there's one guy in particular... So Jacob Evans, 7 and 15 minutes a game, two seasons, out of the league by 2020. 2019, you've got Jordan Poole. Maybe not the best guy character-wise, but again, had all the skills, 
could easily have become the next Splash brother. Well, they gave him a max, didn't they? They gave him a pretty bloody good deal, yeah. And all of a sudden, they move on. And so they, they gave up on him effectively. Well, they, they had to pick. They picked Green over him, let's face it. They picked Green over him. In a couple of years, maybe won't see... Well, even now. I don't know. I'm not a fan of Paul. There's a lot of empty calories. I'm not a fan of him either, but you've got to remember... He played some big minutes in, oh, he did. in that series against Boston. He did. There, there were and moments where he actually turned that series around for Golden State. But so. there were other times in the playoffs where they were absolutely hunting him on pick and rolls. Every team. Of course. So, yeah. But still, you got Alan Smiley Geek. I don't know if you remember him. He was he was terrible. No. Don't even really want to talk about him. Eric Pascal, though. That's the, that's the one that really shits me to tears. He was all rookie first team. This was the season that Steph and Clay were both out injured. The, oh, to get them the number one pick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the very next season, though, after his all rookie first team, they heavily reduced his role and he was out of the league by 2022. I, I don't understand like how you can not look at a guy like him, a really good natural low post scorer, and just think maybe we should look at developing him as the next, the next sort of layer. Again, though, my counter is if other teams aren't picking these guys up, Maybe there's something else going on. I don't know. Because there's 29 other teams out there. But if you're not developed, Most of them don't have the depth that Golden State have or the talent. What's their future look like? You've got Brandon Pazemski. Like, I, I mean, he's decent. He shoots the ball really well. You've got Kaminga and Moody who aren't developed right now. So what's going to happen in a couple? Like, there's They just don't have enough guys. Like, Trace Jackson Davis, averaging 14 minutes a game. That motherfucker should be starting, and like regardless of Draymond Green being in or out, like he started the last few games. He should be starting every single game for the rest of the season. He's a lob threat. He rebounds. He blocks shots. He is the prototypical guy. And he'd be perfect for NBA paint because they would just trace a line around it. Perfect. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. I don't know. I just I look at a lot of these guys and I just think. They're not getting developed. I think Golden State has to be the worst team in the league for developing youth. And it's going to cost them. They, well, they can't keep paying exorbitant luxury taxes. The second apron comes in and stuff for a play-in team. No owner is going to do that. They, and nor should they. They won't even make the play-in. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're like ceiling kind of, you know. Because they're paying all of this money and they're giving all of these minutes to Clay Thompson, who's shooting the ball pretty... Like, he's had a couple of decent games recently, but he's been shit out. Andrew Wiggins has been shit. He really has. Draymond Green has been a cancer to this team. A a lot has gone wrong simultaneously. A lot. But before they won against Boston, everyone thought the dynasty was done then too. Do you know what I mean? I mean, season upon season are very different beasts. And you can have a real shocker. And then you can come back. And they have. They've done it on a number of occasions. They, They cannot win a playoff series with this roster. Oh, I don't think this season there's anything good in their fortunes on the horizon. But I'm going to play the card. We're less than halfway into the season. Doesn't matter. This season's we're at gone. about 31 games. The season's gone. So we're almost closer to a third of the season than half the season. No, I'm calling it now. Oh, look, I think in this case, you're probably right. But I think we need to be mindful of, of that with everything, oh, to be man, honest. Absolutely. But we're only just this, in January. This team is just trash. How do you fix them? You can't. Who has the value? This is the problem. This it is. It is it's saying. interesting, isn't it? It's real. This is a really tough experiment. This one. They should have traded Clay Thompson three years ago. They and I've been saying that for years. They should yep. have traded Draymond Green three years ago, while both of them still had some value. Oh, Green. Yeah, I don't know. I think you keep one of those two. I don't think they needed to trade both. 
I don't know. You, you know that I'm a big fan of what Green brings to the table without all the bullshit. The problem is that the older you get, the bullshit starts to outweigh the this, good stuff. This but this is the thing. So I said for years that they should keep Draymond and trade Clay. I now think Draymond probably has more value. So I think they should probably now trade Draymond and Clay's expiring. How, how does he have more value though? Because he's still a Swiss Army knife. He's still very good defensively. He's still like... He, and he's an idiot. Yeah, but the <laughs> Lakers, you don't think LeBron could harness him, for example? Oh, I don't know. I don't you know, know what I mean? I don't know if anyone can harness Draymond. I mean, I don't I don't know what other team would want him. I wouldn't want... I wouldn't. Uh, it's, it's hard to kind of think of, uh, you know, maybe a team that's kind of on the bubble that's desperate. I wouldn't trade him for a sandwich right now. I mean, would, would Atlanta trade DeJounte Murray for him, for example? I think that's an interesting trade partner. I mean... DeJounte hasn't been as good defensively this season, but he's the sort of player that the Golden State Warriors could think about. I just don't know what the Hawks would want in return. That's all. I mean, the only positive is that it puts Draymond with another Steph Curry-esque sort yes. of player in Trey Young. Yep. That's that's the only situation I can see where Draymond has value. He has to be... Oh, I think he has value with the Lakers. How? they got no shooters. Well, yeah, true. This, that's true. This is the problem he That's has. true. He has to be... He'd give him a bit of grit and a bit of kind of... Yeah, he, I don't know. It, yeah. He could be decent on a team like Milwaukee. Yeah. Who have some shooters. That's intriguing. He could be decent on... Yeah, I mean, Atlanta. What, Chris like, Middleton? Would, could, would the Warriors oh, want no, Chris Middleton? No, no. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. No, if, I'm, if I'm Milwaukee, I wouldn't trade... I wouldn't trade Green for Middleton. No. I just wouldn't want, I, as I say, I just wouldn't. But it's Milwaukee's D that's an issue. So he is a sort of player that that is intriguing. I think you'd be better off to maybe look at something like Bobby Portis and one or two other guys. I don't, I just, I just don't know. I if, mean, you've got to look at salaries and stuff. Like yeah, that. I just, but don't, yeah, I don't know if there's a way it works. Yeah. I just, as I say, I wouldn't want him on my team. He's just, he's a head case. Yeah. I, I think it's harder and harder to defend him. And I agree. I think Kaminga might be the same though. <laughs> oh, so, possibly. Yeah. Anyway, it's troubling times in Golden State, and well, let's go to another one. Hopefully, my negativity will do what it usually does and turn things around for them. Because it is fun when Golden State are playing well. As much as I don't like them winning, it's actually fun. To, oh, of course. It's fun to see them playing well and Steph being him. So. Oh, that series against Sacramento last playoffs was maybe the series of the whole playoffs. It was. It was it was magnificent. So yeah, no, we, we'd like to see him in. We go to the Grizzlies, who are also now in a similar situation, not necessarily for chemistry reasons, oh, but in, because Morant is now injured. They're in tank zone. So yeah. Like basically. I mean, Effectively. Funnily enough, they had a good win against Dallas today. Yeah, that was odd, wasn't it? But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were just shooting daylights out of the ball. Bain was fantastic. Well, it's probably no. everyone would have written them off after Morant got injured. Yeah. So it probably would have been the obvious game for guys to yeah. step up. Marcus Smart is a guy who never wants to lose. So I don't think you'll see him take his foot off the accelerator much for the rest of the season. But yeah, it's hard to see them making up the ground without Morant. I mean, they'd kind of turn things around a little bit, made up a couple of games, but yeah. I, oh, I was starting to look better, but is this a blessing in disguise for them? Probably. I reckon it is, hey. If they get a higher pick, they could be eyeing off number one, two seed next season. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it was still going to be hard for them to make the play in. I, I thought they were a decent chance, but and obviously, there's still two thirds of the season to go. Well, that's but, right. Yeah, but, nearly. Yeah. But they would have still had to make up seven, eight games, which is tough to do. It is, but if you're winning those kind of two win games that we talked about in the NBL segment mm-hmm. against teams in a similar kind of position, and we know that teams are bunched up, I, I think they could have. But obviously, 
this injury puts that to bed. And I think it's probably for the for their long-term benefit. Yeah, and then they're going to come back next season with both Morant and Stephen Adams. So you look at a team that has Morant, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Stephen Adams, and, and a top, bench. let's say, eight pick. Yeah. Yeah. Look, so that's decent. That's very good. It's not as good a draft class as this season, but I, I certainly think they'll still pick up something decent in that top seven or eight there. You can get a contributor. You could. Yeah. You could. Yeah. So we often do when we watching Thunder Talk here, we're mindful of time and we'll maybe let another week pass and maybe revisit it yeah. next week. Instead, let's finish the segment with true or false. Mm, we've got five little questions we want to ask and let's kind of get your thoughts on. So first question, Nath, we kind of talked about it in the third day of Christmas. Should the Thunder make a trade? I mean, yes, I've been saying for a while now that they should. So I'm going to throw it back to you. The question is what? Well, this is the thing. I think unless you can get something half decent for guys that aren't being used, so guys like uh, Alexei Pokashevsky, Trey Mann, maybe Darvis Bertans, I don't really know whether there's a whole heap of guys that I'd want to be trading. Like, I wouldn't want to but get... you have such a war chest of picks. Oh, and the picks, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. And Bertans is an expiring. Hmm. I think Batans and Picks would probably be the ones I'd be looking at. Yeah, definitely. I don't think Pokashevsky or Man are on particularly heavy contracts anyway. They'll so, be on rookie deals too. Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, all the guys that would probably have the trade value really, aside from Batans, I wouldn't really want to be getting rid of. It's the Picks. It's yeah. the Picks though. Because, yeah. I mean, they can't possibly sign all of them anyway. No. You know? Now, maybe the better time is to do it around the draft when you know the order and that sort of thing. Mm. And you can do a lot of two-for-ones, maybe even three-for-ones. Yeah. But yeah, I think we might be in... I think, well, I mean, I've said it before, Giddy is another one that maybe is the odd man out, but his value is lower than what might have been as well. I like him in the lineup. Yeah. I really do. I think he's I think he's fine. Like, he's actually shooting the ball really well. Like he's gone from being a 30-odd percent three-point shooter up to about 37% this season. So as much as there's been a little bit of talk, oh, you know, his numbers are down. We've already talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The it's, fact that the team is better, Chet's playing. Chet's playing, there's yeah. the usage. He's not got the ball in his hands as much. But I, look, I still think he's providing a pretty decent spark for the team. Yeah, okay. He's not the number one or two guy. In fact, he's not even probably the third or fourth guy because you've got Jalen Williams. Well, he's a pass first guy anyway. Yeah. So yeah, Casey so, Wallace. Zach Lowe says you've got your big three already. Yep. SGA, Chet, and one of the J Wills. Who had, I think he had like 36 points without a rebound or something the other day. Yeah, right. The only player to do it at a younger age was Alan Iverson. Oh, I love Jay Will. Like, really good shooter. Nice in the mid range as well. He's got good size. Loves playing defense. Like, it's just that team. Oh, I, honestly, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> glad that we waited it out. I really am. There you go. All right. Question two, Nathan. I think this might be a bit of a polarizing one. Should Orlando retire Shaquille O'Neal's jersey? I kind of want to push here. And that's because, in my opinion, only one team should retire any player's jersey. And I think there needs to be a little bit of give and take and a little bit of discussion. So if the Lakers are retiring it, then that's the only place it should be hanging, in my opinion. Again, a lot of people would disagree with that. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's the extreme of Michael Jordan being retired in Miami, which is absolutely fucking disgraceful and just stupid. Oh, I don't even agree with Bill Russell's number being retired. And I don't either. And we've talked about this. We said how we thought the things on the court were fantastic. They did not need to retire the number six everywhere. Mm -hmm. Where do you draw the line? Blah, 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 blah. 
So if he were the only team to to do it, then fine, that's fantastic. And I think you make a good case. So that's kind of where I stand. Okay. I completely understand why they would want to. He helped put them on the map, obviously, with Penny in those early years, took him to the finals. So or helped take him to the finals, or be it being swept by Houston. So I see the logic, but my logic is one jersey retirement per player, one team. I'll come back to that in a minute because yep. I've, I've got a scenario for you. With Shaq, I kind of lean towards them probably doing it. I mean, it's a guy that averaged 27, 12 and a half rebounds, 2.8 blocks in four seasons. As you mentioned, you know, took them from being basically a laughing stock to making the finals. And I've said this a number of times. I honestly believe Nick Anderson makes one of those four free throws in game one in end of regulation. Butterfly effects. It's a whole different series. Yeah, possibly. Look, I'm not necessarily saying Orlando wins that series, but one up, they're feeling good about themselves. They could easily end up doing some damage and potentially winning the series. Anyway. I think they were certainly more evenly matched than that 76ers team that went in and pinched one in LA, for example, yes. and then LA won 4-1. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I think you make a stronger case there. Yeah. Yeah. The the one case I would make against it would potentially be the whole, what about Tracy McGrady? Yeah. Because he had very similar numbers. The only thing is T-Mac never took them past the first round. Yes. Uh, that much, famous yeah, much Detroit thought he, yeah, series. Yeah. Thought he had. Yeah. But, thought he was going to, yeah. Yeah, I, look, I think yes, I think he should. I did want to just ask though, where would you retire LeBron's number then? Or is it just whichever team says it first? Or the player. Or the player to oh, oh that's interesting. Cause then you I could... think I think the default is the place where they had the most success. I, I would hope that it would be Cleveland for LeBron because yeah. he was from Akron. He brought them their first championship. More success in Miami though. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, that, that's where it becomes interesting, sort of limiting it to to one. Like you, there's very few, and I really had to rack my brain to think: is there anyone other than LeBron that you could sort of say they they had equal amounts of success in multiple cities? Yeah, not not equal. I mean, there are guys that have had good success at multiple cities. Well, I mean, but... you could argue that LeBron's success in maybe not all three of the cities, but certainly Cleveland and Miami, his success has been pretty similar. I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah, you do the comparison to championships to one, but... Well, and appearances and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. but it it is it's an interesting one to sort of look at. And I mean, look, I'm not sure I I, I would like to see the limited to one because I think there are certainly guys that you could make a case. You make a case for Kareem having his number retired by the Lakers and Milwaukee. Did Barkley do enough in Philly to get warranted there, for example? And that's another tricky one. Yeah. that That's very much the whole, is this person a Hall of Famer sort of thing. Dikembe at Atlanta and Denver? Was he at Denver long enough? Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, this is just, yeah, I'm not, I'm I haven't not, actually I'm kind not, of researched or thought about sure. it. Maybe, maybe Atlanta. I don't even know if I'd retire him there. Yeah. Because again, like what success did they have? Well, he won a lot of defensive player of the years, for example. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's it's a, it's an interesting one. It is. Here's an interesting one. Is Paolo Banquero an all-star? Yes, absolutely. 23-7-5, leading the surprise packet of the Eastern Conference. We're saying, what, five guards and seven front court? That's kind of how it's made up all-star wise? Oh, God, I can't even remember. I think it's five and seven. Yeah. So you'd have, obviously, Giannis, Embiid, Tatum and Brown, maybe Butler and Adebayo. Adebayo is averaging 22, 10 and four assists, so his numbers are pretty good. Then it comes down to Bancaro, Mikel Bridges, who had a bit of a drop-off from last year. The team's been pretty shit. 
Maybe Chris Dapps, Porzingis. Numbers don't jump off the page, but he's more of an eye test guy. And they're winning a lot. Yep. I think Bancaro makes it, though. I think the numbers and, you know, Orlando kind of almost have to have somebody there because of how well they've been doing. It would be a little bit rough if someone way down, you know, maybe like an eight seeded sort of team in the East manages to get a player in and Orlando don't. Bit of a slap. Oh, I think they should absolutely be rewarded for their play and his play. Trivia without notice? Go for it. So he had a 30 10 10 3. Only six other guys have done it before turning the age of 22. Oh, wow. 30, 10, 10, and 3. Now, six is a lot, so obviously we don't need to go through all of them. But they are definitely names you know, and they're definitely big names. I mean, I feel like Hakeem or Hutton might have No, no not actually. Not not Hakeem. Wow, okay. I suppose, yeah, the 80s, a lot of guys were coming out a little bit later. I mean, it don't know if You're right, yeah, guys would stay in college a bit yeah, longer. So yeah, so 30, 10, 10, and 3. I mean, would Shaq have done it? No. Okay. Wow, this there's actually a lot of middle and smaller guys. Okay. God, I'm I'm drawing blanks. Just trying Well, to... go on. There's an obvious one. There's two obvious ones. Are there? Big point guardy kind of guys that played for the Lakers well, Mag- a lot. Yeah, Magic was gonna be my next guest, funnily enough. And big guys that point guardy point has some similar skills to Magic, better scorer, passed his teammate in the all time scoring LeBron. list. Yeah. LeBron. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, obviously. Yep. Uh, sorry, I was going back, I was actually going back to like But these these things are fun. They're interesting yeah. when you're on the spot, aren't they? Kevin like... Durant? No, but that's a decent guess. He had some pretty big games scoring wise, but shoot. This is a really, really tough one. You've There's used... actually two really small guys. A shooting guard and a kind of point forwardy So point... is this three steals or blocks? Because that's what makes it tricky. Because it could be someone like Derek Rose. That's a good question. I assume it's Steels. Yeah, okay. It's not Derek Rose. Jason Kidd? Not Jason Kidd. The 30 points might be a bit... Yeah, true. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm forgetting about the, the points. I don't think anyone like Stefan Marbury would have done it. Well, uh, someone called Steph did. Oh, Steph Curry. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't have picked that. I suppose, yeah, the Steels makes sense. Shoot. It's a really, They're really big point. names. Big, all of them. Two Hall of Famers, one future Hall of Famer. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's the 30 points that's getting me. I'm trying to think of guys that would have done that before the before that age. It's like Carl Malone wouldn't have done it. No. Because he's like, he would have got the points. but He wouldn't have got the assists, I don't know. I'm completely... You want me to put you out of your misery? I'm blanking completely. MJ. Obviously. Isaiah so, Thomas. It's really annoying is, like, when I said Elijah one. I was about to say MJ, but I was like, nah, he probably wouldn't. Have- That's it's partly on me for not clarifying what the three was, yeah, though. Okay. So I'll, I'll take some responsibility. Isaiah Thomas, okay. Isaiah Thomas is the other small one, and then the point forward I was talking about, the future Hall of Famer, Luka Doncic. Yeah, they, you're right. That's really obvious. That's that's incredibly bad. Oh well, these things are hard when you're on the spot. Look, I'll blame it on the fact that I've not been sleeping very well. Oh, well, the three thing didn't help. No. Here's one of yours. Are the Nuggets flat track bullies? True or false? Uh, yes and no. Eight wins. I think that's the first time we've actually used the true or false, and we're up to question four. Yes, true. Good. Oh, sorry, sorry. Paolo Bancaro is an all-star. True. true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Nuggets eight and twelve against teams over five hundred. Eighteen and zero against teams under five hundred. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of the definition of flat track bullies in a way. I think if you look at what Jokic did the other day, that ridiculous. Four points on two of three, seven rebounds, 16 assists, five blocks in 25 minutes. 
He's just taking the piss. Isn't I think he? that underlines what they're doing right now. They're, and, they're, they're coasting. And then he had he had the banked uh, game winner against Golden State from half court. Yep. And then he also had the game where he had a triple double on a hundred percent shooting across every statistical category. Yep. The first player since Wilt to do so on a minimum of ten shots. So yeah, he is just yeah. taking the piss. I saw someone say that four point sixteen assist game was like the equivalent of the game that Larry Bird shot everything left-handed, <laughs> where he's just basically going out there mucking around, conserving energy, saving a bit for the playoffs. The thing that concerns me a little bit, they are struggling against the good young teams. So they're one and two against Houston, one and two against OKC. Are they resting guys in these games? But I can see. Okay. Um, oh, and two against Orlando. I think Aaron Gordon missed one of the, oh, the OKC games. Yeah, yeah. But all of those guys have mobile, solid bigs. Shangoon, Holmgren. Do you still think most improved to one horse race? The way Shangoon's playing? No, not at all. I, I never did. I, oh, I, I, I could dig up the audio. I thought Shaden Sharp would have a really big year. I didn't think it was a lay down. Oh, 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 I might go back oh, to the third umpire. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks> for it. <laughs> All right, a couple of things, Nate. So firstly, Shaden Sharp's getting most improved player. I called that before the season. 2023, Stu knew nothing. No, look, I... Hey, you can play my card back at me. We're not even at the halfway point yet. No, look, I I honestly, I I thought Sharp would be good. I don't think he's been as good as I thought he would be, but... In fairness, I thought he'd be too, so... Look, I I thought Scoot Henderson would win rookie. Yeah, I did too. I was with you on that one as well, and he's been... He's improving. He's better, but yeah. he was dog shit to start the year. Anyway, yeah, I think to answer the question, true, they are flat track bullies at the moment, but I think there's a reason that they're doing it. And, I, and obviously, I think we'll see as they get closer to the playoffs, the, the intensity will probably lift a little bit more and they might go back to being those unbeatable sort of nuggets. But yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I agree, but I'm going to say false. And yeah. the reason for that is the devil's in the definition of flat track bully so to me a flat track bully is someone that only beats shitty teams and can't compete against good teams and even though you read some numbers there come playoff time denver will still be my favorite in the west and i do think they should be favorite in the west i'm not saying they're definitely going to win it by any stretch of the imagination and there are matchup issues and i think minnesota already showed last season that they caused some grief so that's the so i'm basically agreeing with you but it's I guess I have a slightly different definition of flat track bully. I think OKC is going to give the Nuggets some trouble. They well. could, they could too. They could too. But do they the size? That's why I think if they could trade for a big, but I don't know, I don't know what bigs they could go after. That's the problem. You, you got to remember, like Holmgren defends, like he, he can defend. Oh yeah, he's shot blocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the frame. It's it's the frame. Yeah, it's, it's the, the power forward kind of guy, but the I, big body, the Al Horford type. Yeah, you know? I also don't think the Nuggets have anyone that can stop Shea. It goes both ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they've got guys that are, are good defenders, but they're not big. Like, Kentavious Caldwell Pope's not big enough, whereas if they put a bigger guy on him, Shay gets... Well, they might put Gordon on him. Shay get past him. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, too, no, it's too, interesting. too quick for him. Yeah, and yeah. He's, and he's crafty. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, that'd be an amazing series. Oh, it would be fun. Yeah. It would be fun. All right, we'll finish off with a really easy one. Dave Yeager took about, what, five feet worth of steps onto the court against the Lakers the other day. Should he have been ejected? Absolutely, he should have astonishing that he wasn't yeah tried to stop a fast break i think it was yep he did yeah yeah you can't be doing that shit there's there's a line you don't cross figuratively and literally and that is the sideline you just it's automatic regardless of whether the call was missed you just can't be doing that so it's so weird on one hand they're throwing out Jokic 
Yeah. For it's the same motherfucker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then on the other hand, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, isn't it? it's ridiculous. Well, there you go. Bit of fun. A couple of little bits and pieces, I guess, to finish things off. I'm going to ask you whether you think Giannis has lost the plot a little bit. What do you mean by this? Well, he's got two quotes from the last couple of days. The first relating to their struggles against the Pacers and the second to do with their struggles in general. You think about it. When you get home and sleep and wake up, you think about it. When you go back and work out, you think about it. When you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. That's to do with them losing to Indiana. And then the general struggles, everybody has to be better. It starts from the equipment manager. He has to wash our clothes better. <laughs> Is this just a language thing or has Giannis lost it? We don't know. Did you watch the video? I mean, has he delivered this with a smile on his face? Uh, Is it tongue in cheek? It's somewhat tongue in cheek. It's got to be tongue in cheek. It's got to be. When you're about to get freaky at night. Yeah, I know, I know. You better not be thinking about the paces. No. uh, no. Well, the pace is important. Well, yeah, but, you know. But not the pacers. Not the pacers. No, 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 yeah, yeah. If you're sitting there picturing Benedict Matherin while you're with your wife. No. It's not great. No. Not great. Anyway, a little bit weird. Quick shout out, Dylan Windler. He earned his call up back to the league after a 23.33 rebound. All-time G League record for rebounds, by the way. Outrageous. Only six foot six. So that is an incredible number. Some more trivia without notice for uh, you. Yeah. I'm getting my revenge on you for that last one. <laughs> so have a guess when the last time was that someone had 33 rebounds in an NBA game. Oh, uh, well, okay. So... The obvious answer is Wilt, but it's probably a trick question. So then you've got to start thinking about guys like Moses Malone and uh, 33 rebounds is a fucking lot. I'll say Wilt on the understanding that this is probably a trick question. You've overestimated quite, yeah. quite dramatically. Yeah. 1996. Oh, wow. Yep. November the 2nd, 1996. Okay, okay. All right. Let me think about this then. 1996, 33 rebounds. The six foot six is actually a pretty. Uh pretty big thing as well dennis dennis wasn't that short no. he was small at six eight yep was it the round mound of rebound charles barkley huh? oh, very good playing for houston against the phoenix suns there you go funnily enough yeah 96 yeah so okay. 27 years ago basically wow funnily enough in that game he actually out rebounded the suns on his own 33 to 30 that's nuts which is yeah is, is absolutely crazy also funnily enough if you look at the official box score for that game it lists Gary Payton and Doug Christie as DNPs for the Rockets, even though neither of them played for the Houston Rockets. And Tracy Murray is a DNP for Phoenix, even though he never played for the Suns. Very random. How weird. Yeah. Very, very random. What source? Uh, basketballreference.com. Yeah, right. So Might need to. I think it's on ESPN as well, from memory. How odd. Yeah, it's an incredible one. And last thing I did want to just uh, provide a little bit of frivolity. Hey. Or levity, either way. Yep. I saw a new term I fucking love. DeMarcus Sabonis recently had 23 points, 18 rebounds, and 11 turnovers for the season's first cripple-double. Yes, magnificent. So, so good. It's great. I have a feeling I might have heard that before. I've never heard it. It's It's fantastic. It does ring faint bells. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yep. Um, Speaking of triple-doubles, I don't know if you saw Jordan Clarkson had the first triple-double for the Jazz since Carlos Boozer in 2008. Yeah, right. On earth does... Like a Donovan Mitchell or a, a Gordon Hayward, even Rudy Gobert with blocks. How do none of them manage? Deron Williams. Yep. Oh, that was, he was around the same Similar time. Similar sort of time. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. There's guys... Andre Kirilenko, yeah. yeah. Kirilenko yeah. would have had him before, but. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I'm getting my timelines wrong. Yeah, okay. Still, like, yeah, you just think uh, there has to be one guy. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And Trey Kill, I think it was, had the first one in the NBL this season. True, yeah. Not so long ago. Yeah, there you go. There you go. 
So first things first in the cricket, should we? And we will race through here because time is escaping us and plenty of summer of cricket remaining. But a massive tip of the hat to Elise Perry. She recently played her 300th match for Australia. And obviously she played for the Matildas at one point as well. So just one of the greatest, you could make a very strong case, top five female athlete for Australia of all time, I think. Oh, yeah. A couple of tennis players, a couple of, yeah. Anyway, in tests, 925 runs at an average of 66, high score of 213 not out, with the ball 38 wickets, an average of 21 with a best of six for 32. Two fifers, two tons. In T20s, nearly 2,000 runs, average of 32, strike rate of 116, high score of 75, 123 wickets at an economy of 5.85, best bowling four for 12, with four four wicket hauls. And then in one day is 3,852 runs at an average of 51, high score of 112 not out, two tons, 162 wickets, economy of 4.3, best bowling of seven for 22, and three five fives water player. The economy rate is very impressive. I mean, I know maybe they're not all against the, the highest quality. Some of the nations out there maybe don't feel, you know, necessarily quite the same quality as uh, as everything. But look, you're still going up against the Englands, the Indias, the New Zealands, the South Africans of the world, and an economy of under six in T20s and under five in ODIs is very impressive. And obviously all the stuff she's done with the ball, just, yeah. oh, just... A, an absolute champion of the game. And, and honestly, I I think it's a foregone conclusion, but I fucking hope they give her a stat. Oh, they got to. They have to. As a two-sport player, they absolutely have yeah. to. So where do we go next? The Aussies have wrapped up the test series against Pakistan. Perhaps the 3-0 scoreline, not quite showing how close it was at times. 2.1 to 0.9 <laughs> would have been fair. No, look, fair play to the Pakistanis. I think they came out and they really gave a good account for themselves that they've got a great bowling lineup. Uh, they found an absolute gem in Amir Jamal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there's a little bit to take away from the three test series for them, definitely. Oh, I think there's a lot. I think, unfortunately, Babar was a bit down, wasn't he? Yep. And I think their fielding was down. Yes. So if they hold on to some catches in the Boxing Day test, for example, when the Bison had nearly a ton. <laughs> yes. We would have been in all sorts of trouble. We would have been like five for 40 odd or six for 40 odd yep. or something. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a very, very good call. I think they... The batting was a little bit up and down for Pakistan. The bowling, I thought, was was excellent. I think they created more than enough chances to win that series. Not just one test. I think they definitely created enough. They bowled really, really well in the Boxing Day test, as you say. They definitely created enough chances to make things a little bit uncomfortable in the last test at Sydney as well. Horrible pitch by the end of it. So we managed to just sort of... Well, not just scrape home. I mean, we we won. It got tight, didn't it? We won it pretty comfortably, but you know. Yeah, well, the the Rizwan wicket was a big one. What do you make of it? Was he out? Yeah, I think that hit the strap. Well, as far as I could tell, it did. I I reckon it's clear car. I reckon it was out. Yeah, I I don't see any problem with that. I I feel like I would have said the exact same thing if it was Steve Smith. I'd be pissed off because it's a horrible way to get out. It is, but it's still. But it's, a way to get it. That's the thing. If you have that up there, you've no, got I thought to, it was clear. You've, you've got one. And the, even without the technology, I, to the naked eye, I thought it was clear. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I guess the other disappointing thing was Shaheen Shah Freedy missing. But you've crunched the numbers a little bit, and look, he was a bit down on pace. His body probably needed a rest. Yeah, I mean, at first you kind of look at it and go, "The guy's twenty three years old. 
the quartet of Aussies, 36-year-old Nathan Wyan, 33-year-old Josh Hazelwood and Mitch Stark, and a 30-year-old Pat Cummins, all bowled in all three. But I don't know, it's interesting. If you look at the numbers, so Nathan Lyon bowled 103.1 overs across the three tests. Cummins bowled 90, Hazelwood 84.2, and Stark 83.2. Each of them had at least one innings in the three tests where they bowled less than 10 overs. All three of the quicks had two. So you're talking like six to eight overs in a, in a, a very short innings. Afridi bowled 99.2 overs in the two tests that he bowled. He had three of the four innings where he bowled 27 overs, which, I mean, you were at the Perth test. It was hot. Oh, as it was very hot. Hot as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole test was hot. Yeah. So even though you've got the time to recuperate, that does take a big toll on your body. And I guarantee if you're bowling 27 overs across a day and a half. On the back of the World Cup, of course, as well. Think about the amount of weight you'd lose doing that just from sweat. You'd be pumping out probably three or four kilos. So it's obviously yeah easy for us to sit here and go, oh, he's young. He should be able to keep going. And a lot of the old heads are saying similar things as well. But... Yeah. But I think nowadays yeah, they do. They look after the, the health of the players. I think Pakistan know they're probably not a huge threat for the World Test Championship. So probably... Maybe not now. Yeah. It's, it's probably more... Yeah. I mean, obviously the series was gone at that point. Yeah, so it's probably more important for a young guy like him who is the backbone of their bowling attack, certainly the pace attack anyway, for him to get the the rest and just make sure that he's not putting in too much. Look, there could be other things we don't know about. I mean, we often hear about some of these pacemen getting stress fractures in their back. I, I and... suspect there was a niggle, yeah. Because so, he was a bit down on pace too. So on some bouncy decks. But he certainly, so, he got over bowled as well. Like there's... Well, and again, if they hold their catches, True. maybe he bowls 20 less overs. That's, that's a good point because it, obviously the numbers that the Aussies on average, I think it was about, I don't know, four four to seven less overs because we generally feel better. We take more of our catches. We take our chances. That's what happens. Now, you spoke of our old heads. Thank goodness. But they are now the leading quartet of wicket takers of all time passing Jimmy Anderson, Shui Broad, Ben Stokes, and Moen Ali. Camo, Starkey, Hazewood, and Lyon, 416 wickets and counting. Pretty good. Pretty bloody good. Pretty good. What do you think of Michael Vaughan's comments that Camo could end up being the second best Australian cricketer behind, I think he said Dennis Lilly, didn't he? Does that mean the Don isn't number one? In I think that's a stretch. I think... Or was he talking about bowling? Maybe he was talking about bowling. That makes more sense. Bowling, I mean, look, you've still got Glenn McGrath up the top. If we're talking paceman only, then yeah, you, you'd think that Camo could easily be well, definitely top five. If you're including the spinners, obviously, then you... Well, Warney's the best player we ever... Yeah, you, you throw in Warney. Uh, and, there'll, you know, there'll be some other guys from the, the earlier days that we maybe don't know as much about. But, look, second best is a big call. It is, isn't it? It is. Especially considering that and we'll talk about this in the future. We'll try and get Woody on to discuss it with us. No doubt he would love to to have a chat with us about it. Shout out to him. Test cricket, he might have weaker competition. He might have stronger competition. If we're only playing India and, and England all the time, he might have really strong competition. So it's going to be interesting, mm. actually. It's really hard to compare errors, isn't it? Yeah. Let's say you're the second best bowler. <laughs> the second best. There's your obscure uh, uh, five five reference. reference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he became just the second Australian captain after Alan Border to take 10 wickets in a test match in the Boxing Day test and the first Aussie bowler to take 10 scalps at the MCG since 1991. Okay. I'm not actually sure who that was. There we go. 
91. Thank God. I thought that was yeah, going to be another trip. No, I, I didn't take note of that. God, who would that have been? That could have been Merv. It could have been Craig McDermott. It could have been, mm. God, it could have even been Bruce Reed back then, maybe even. I don't know. But uh, yeah. Who says it was an Aussie? The fact that it says the first Aussie bowler to take 10 scalps at the MCG since 1990. Ah, oh, so what you said, yes. yes. Okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Did you hear that uh, third umpire, Richard Ellingsworth, got trapped in an elevator? Yeah, I did. <laughs> was, um, it stuck with Mel McLaughlin. Yeah, and 10 other people. Christ, that would be hell. 10 other people. That would be hell. Getting I think there was 11 of them. Yeah, yeah. Or nine other people. I, I, I can't do math. I have no time for that woman. Yeah, not a fan? Not a fan. Oh, okay. No, she shits me to tears. Oh, well, there you go. I don't mind it. There you go. I guess, well, Warner's kit. I mean, how much do we talk about this? The, the funny thing with Chappelle Corby, did you see her comment yeah. when he accused Qantas and baggage? Why, why would she get involved with that? Seriously. Like, That's pretty funny. Surely, if she's got any sense, she would just fade off into obscurity. Uh, just yeah, leave it alone. And just a reminder again to check out episode 186, 11 Piper's Piping, of course, really. <laughs> We don't talk, talk about the Gunge, Darren Gunja. We don't talk about Chappelle Corby. No, we don't talk about Chappelle Corby there. No, no, no. but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to give that any time because I think it was bullshit. I think he just misplaced it and then created a national scandal for no reason. Yeah, the more yeah, like, it's a little bit weird, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So no, uh, look, I'm glad that it's over. I'm glad he's retired. A little bit over hearing all the hate that's being sent his way, like. I get it. People are pissed off about a bunch of things. Well, and a lot of people here are pissed off because they feel like Cam Bancroft has kind of copped most of it and Smitty and Warner have escaped since the suspensions. Yeah. Oh, look, there's an element. All of- the WA people are coming out. By the way, a lot of people are like, well, who do they replace? And we'll get to that in a sec. But no, no, they're just saying he should have been in the squad ahead of Renshaw. They're not saying he should have been in the 11. Yeah. They're saying he should have been in the squad ahead of Renshaw. We'll get, yeah, we'll get to Oh, that. yeah, we'll get there in a sec. Just a, a couple of things. I know we've talked a lot about how amazing Dave Warner has been and how much of a legend of the game he's been. Average of nearly 45, nearly 8,800 runs, 22nd most all time is where he finished. Strike rate of 70.19 in tests, easily the highest of anyone in the top 25. Only Brian Lara has a strike rate of more than 60 in that list, and he sits at 60.5, so nearly 10 behind him. So, wow. yeah, an incredible player. That knock at the Wacker when he had 100 in... I'm sure he had 100 in a session against India at the Wacker. Or I just... I mean, obviously there was a Pakistan knock. But that Indian knock at the Wacker was just nuts. I'll never forget it. Yep. Yeah. Now, I loved Daniel Cherney's tweet about this. 2007, Warren retires from Test Cricket at the SCG. 2024, Warner retires from Test Cricket at the SCG. Test Cricket needs to survive long enough for Warnest to complete the set in 2041. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, shout out to Daniel Cherney. So, obviously, Smitty is the new opener to replace Davey Warner. He is. What do you reckon? I like it. Yeah, I do too. I like the idea. Yep. I mean, obviously, we know the skill level he has. Uh, I saw an incredible stat that says there's six times in his career that he has come in in the first two overs of an innings. He has been dismissed for less than 50 only once with an average of 106.2. Wow. So, clearly doesn't mind, mind the new in. ball. Yeah, doesn't yeah. mind the new ball coming yeah. in. Yeah. One of the things that I heard listening to Michael Clark talk a little bit about this was... <laughs> Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? The Probably. Brian Lara thing? Oh, I don't... Yeah. Uh, that's a stretch. I don't it? agree that... Yeah, I don't agree that he'll be the best opener in the world in 12 months necessarily. But he is a guy that loves batting. He, he doesn't want to sit there and wait for 
Kawaja and Warner and Labashang to make tons and get in. Like he and wants- he puts a prize on his wicket too. Yeah, he wants to be in there. So you know, I don't mind the idea. And again, I like the left-hand, right-hand combination. I've always loved that for kind of upsetting the field, having them moving around. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I've always been a big fan of that. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, having Cameron Green come in at four worries me a little bit. I, I don't know about that, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Against the West Indies, I think Cam Green at four is probably a good, be okay. good time to audition him in that spot, to be honest. I would maybe have Travis Head looking at coming I would four. too. I think the reason they don't is because he plays so well where he is. But that's a tinker that they could make. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Though. But I mean, having Green and Marsh in there, again, we've got to start looking towards the next generation of bowlers. It's good to have those extra two guys that can bowl a heavy ball and seem to pop up and take wickets all the time. So, And obviously, Cricket Australia will be hoping that Cam Green is a Jacques Callas type. And I know that's a massively high Huge, ceiling. Yeah. But he's he's young and he's shown a lot of potential so far. Yep. So I don't think that's an unreasonable ceiling. And so, yeah, get him in, get him experience, get him up the order against teams like the West Indies. I think it's fantastic, yeah. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. And I think it probably makes more sense than him open. We know the Shane Watson opening thing. I was never a big fan no. of that. So, look, I'm open to them trying it if they need to, but I think this is a better solution. Yep, yeah. agreed. And I think even Mitch Marsh would have been a better solution, actually. Yeah, maybe. I think, I, but I, I like Smitty. I yeah, like Smitty. I, I'd, I'd be happy to keep Marsh where he is. Yeah. Couple of quick hits. Laurie Evans, what a knock for the Scorchers the other night. They just continued to win, although a lot of the players will be disappearing around finals time, but they'll punch that finals ticket once again. Yeah, disappointing start from Evans, three off three. But, uh, <laughs> definitely exploded once uh, once he got his eye in. And yeah, 85 off 28. It's, it's hard to do. Well, I've got a Rick Finlay tweet here. In my database of nearly 10,000 T20 matches, which he later says he didn't order, and it was 10,117, I have 97 scores of 85, with the quickest being Gilly's 35-ball effort in an IPL match. Laurie Evans just lowered that to 28 balls. It's ridiculous. Seven fewer. Yep. yep. Now, it might not have been as good a bowling. I'm not sure who the bowling attack was in that IPL match, but it's still, I mean, jeez. It's it's catching lightning in a bottle. Isn't it, it? it really is. Yeah. It's just, no, just incredible. Everything that Evans hit. and there, there was some of the stuff, you know, these nonchalant flicks off the pad yes. for six. And yeah. It's just like three sixty degrees. It's, yeah. Like it's almost arrogant. That's how good it is. But uh, look, I'm very very excited for the finals of this. I mean, seeing obviously the quality that the Scorchers have. You've got Brisbane Heat who are top of the ladder. I think and, Brisbane should be favourites. Yep. Yeah. Um, Although if they host the final, it's at Carrara. Ah, yeah, okay. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because of the test. Interesting. Okay. At the Gabba, yeah. So, yeah. so that. So they lose their home field a bit. Yeah. It's a little if, bit of a wrinkle there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep an eye on the BBL. Some twists and turns to come. I guess the other big news is India South Africa in the test. Jesus Christ. Twenty three wickets fell on the first day. South Africa was all out fifty five. It's the eighth time a team has been bowled out before lunch on the first day of a test match. The first occasion was Lords 1896 when Australia was skittled for 53 by England. That didn't happen again until 2007. Hmm. Would have been an interesting fact for the Lords are leaping. Yes, episode 185. Check out the Lords are leaping. It lasted just 642 legal balls, according to Stephen Lynch from Crick Info. The shortest innings on record. The previous shortest, and that's sorry, with a positive result, with a winner. So not just rain, draw, that sort of thing. The previous shortest was 656. 
But that was in Melbourne, 1931-32. And most of it took place on a badly rain-affected pitch. Yeah, I mean, this was maybe not quite as bad a pitch as that, but there's a lot of people saying this pitch should have absolutely been listed as extremely poor. Well, it gets worse, Dewey. And I know you've got a quote for this too. Do I? India lost six wickets for no runs. Oh, yes. yes. Six for nothing. There had previously been four collapses of five for nothing. And there was one that was six for one, which was the previous record. And a seven for two. But never has there been a six for none. Yeah, just before I get into the quote, I, I did want to just obviously... I mean, yeah, it was a horrible pitch. Mohamed Siraj, though, was absolutely unplayable on day one. Six for 15 in that 55 all out. So... Yeah, he absolutely set the entire test up for Ripped India. Through. Yeah, yeah, he's and certainly that, given us some headaches over the he, years. He has, and yeah, as you mentioned, India cruising at four for 153 before the biggest collapse in the history of Test cricket is just 11 balls. I mean, how do you lose six wickets in 11 balls? That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. So yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you just stood a meter away from the stumps and said, "Had a ping." Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you remember that bowler? Oh, the bowler. Was it New yeah. Zealand and someone where they there was a T20 bowler and just no one could hit the stumps? Yeah. yeah that's just remarkable. The, Absolutely the, remarkable. The thing that I find most incredible about the six for none, though, three of those wickets were KL Rahul, Ravi Jadeja, and Virat Kohli. So we're talking... Guys who put a prize on their wicket. Three very top-class batters. So, yeah, it, it did prompt probably the greatest line in test history, though, from Ravi Shastri. <laughs> If someone went around the corner for a dump and came back, India has been bowled out for 153. Not going to lie, I have seen that in India, but still. Yeah, and and Indian dumps can can be as quick as six or seven balls. <laughs> let's let's also, not go any further. Let's not talk about the, liqu- no, no. the liquidities of, of fecal matter. Oh, God. No, it's... Uh, Definitely the end. Yeah. I never, ever thought I'd hear the phrase liquidities of fecal matter on an episode of Ash. Uh, quick shout out as well to Aiden Markram, 106 off 103. Gave South Africa the tiniest of sniffs, but India cruised home, won all the series. And uh, yeah, just a weird game. And a couple of other weird stats as far as first class matches are concerned. So the MCC were zero for seven against Surrey in 1872. They recovered to 16 all out. And then in Johannesburg in 97-98, Gauteng, went from none for 12 to seven for 12 against Northerns, but they did manage 74, thanks mainly in part to 21 extras. Ah, uh, yes. Top scorer sundries. Got to love that. Oh, I assume top scorer. Probably not, actually. Well, uh, maybe. Who knows? Mum knows. She knows. How do you think she got I'm, gra- I'm glad you're yeah, yeah. Full of references. All right, sure you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Always a marathon after these uh, one and two week breaks. We kind of knew what we were in for. But... Yes, but we love them. We had a lot of fun. Yep, full credit to anyone who's got this far. I uh, do praise you for that. <laughs> That's why you have time steps. Look, lots of amazing stuff going on in the NBA and the NBL, so both sides of that big ocean. And, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going in the cricket as well. Looking forward to watching some BBL and obviously the playoffs in the NFL starting soon. So nearly time for the Super Bowl. Nearly time for the Super Bowl. NFL playoffs will be a big focus, but the NBL is getting really interesting too. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.